Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the show. This is Missing the Point with Miles David, and I am your host. Thank you for tuning back in once again and lending me your ears. If this is your first time listening, as I always say, welcome on. Welcome on aboard. If you are a returning listener, then I appreciate you coming back and rocking with me for one more episode. Thank you for allowing me into your homes, your car stereo, your speaker while you're doing your dishes all of it and anywhere it is appreciated (laughs) so by the title of today's episode you can tell that we're going to be chatty in cincinnati i like alliterations and i like things that rhyme a little bit sometimes in my episode descriptions and episode titles so just roll with it and today we have a wonderful guest that i've wanted on the show since basically the inception of the idea of my podcast and his name is Tobias. Tobias is one of my longest standing friends that I talked to about tennis. Um, and he was admittedly a little hesitant and anxious about coming onto the podcast, but he did a wonderful job. We are talking everything Western and Southern open from this past week. That was the next stop. And one of the last stops on the North American hardcore summer series swing thing that they call it heading into the U S open the last grand slam of the, of the year. And me and Tobias are going to be breaking down all of the things that took place in this week's tournament from the winners, the losers, and everybody in between. So sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation between me and a good friend, Tobias. And while you're listening, make sure to follow the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter, the this, the that, the third of the podcast at Missing Point Pod. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-P-O-I-N-T-P-O-D. I know that's a mouthful, but you can do it. I believe in you, and I believe that you can listen to this and also go to the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Clubhouse community while you're listening to this and engage with the podcast because that's what this is all about, right? So I'm going to quit rambling and let the audio play and I'll be back after our conversation to wrap up the show. Enjoy, guys. So welcome back to the show, everybody. Look who I finally, finally, finally got on the show. <laughs> Not finally. I mean, I think this is I've 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 coerced you to come on to the show since the beginning, and now you finally actually done it. So yes, this is, is that this is that accurate? That would be an accurate statement, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to Tobias, everybody. Tobias is one of my longest-running tennis Twitter buddies west of the Mississippi. only Not that far west, just in Houston. And we've been tennis Twitter buddies for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like be- yeah. Before I even formulated the idea of a podcast, we've been talking tennis on Twitter, right? Yes, man. Been a while, actually, yeah. Mm. Oh. Maybe before... This 2017 Australian Open win, so uh, a minute. I mean, I, I, I wanted to go back even further to, like, 2015 U.S. Open. That's, that's when I was I, like... <laughs> but we didn't want to bring up old scars and old... Yeah, that's what I say. That's why we went with the win, the, the Australian Open win. Those were good times. Good good times. We need we need some more of that good juju. But hi, Tobias. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Miles. Thank you. <laughs> 
thank you for coming on to be a guest and um tell the people a little bit about yourself because i know about you but tell the tell the listeners Ooh, so um 30 wow so yeah 30 um been watching tennis playing tennis for about 20 years ish well that sounds bad no it doesn't Um, it makes you sound seasoned like you are when we talk about tennis but yeah so then yes i've been watching you know tennis especially venus and serena since about 10 started kind of playing dabbling around that same time so yeah watch a lot uh taught myself how to play sort of so like i say i can handle myself on the court you know on a scale of one to venus williams how good is your backhand well, it's good. I, I say about a about a seven, eight on a good day, but it's not. Unfortunately, it is mostly not a two handed backhand. Sadly, it's not a two handed backhand. No, like if I want to finish a point, then you know, be like really aggressive with it. Then yes, but like if we, you know, we're just rallying, then it's probably gonna definitely be a one. You know, some slice, some side spin. You know, you know who you sound like, right? When you're describing your game. <laughs> Um, I don't think you rhymes with it rhymes with party. I was gonna say the current number one. Um, I mean, if you if you if you slice in your your one handed backhand, then when you want to finish a point, you use a two handed. Then sounds real Ash Barty party to me. <laughs> you know, I try to work the, the two handed in there, but you know, like say the the one handed slice is a little more reliable. You know. Nothing's wrong with that. Nothing's wrong with that. And then you mentioned Venus earlier. Um, we definitely gonna have you back on the podcast for not that I want Venus to be in hindsight, but when Venus is uh when Venus does call a time of her career, I know who to call so we can talk about her career in full. I know exactly yes. who to call. Yes, you know that's I uh the US opens uh IG just posted I think it was her nineteen ninety eight semifinal uh match. And just to kind of look at the They did. Uh, wasn't her outfit like, cute? Yeah. Yeah, we, I was playing in a full sweater and then <laughs> in a tank top. I was like, okay. But then underneath order. that, it was a nice little lavender moment from Reebok. Yeah. Yeah. Reebok, again. Throwback. Good days. Good times. Good yes. times. But we are not we're not here. I mean, although it's always a good time to talk about Venus Williams, we're not here to talk about Venus Williams in particular for the majority of this podcast. We're actually here to talk about and recap the Western and Southern Open that just took place in Cincinnati, Ohio. And back in Cincinnati. In Mason, Cincinnati. You're saying and just back in Cincinnati, period. Oh, you know? right, right. Because last year it was definitely in the New York, New York US Open bubble. Double. <laughs> yeah, double in the bubble. Yeah, is that the phrase they use? Double in the bubble. Yes, that is what they went with. Which is, you no, know, it was catchy, you know, because essentially is, they did. Unlike when Wimbledon and the Olympics were at the same site, and you know, they kinda, yeah, when they kind of did some different things for the to differentiate between Wimbledon 2012 and Olympics 2012. Um, in New York, they just left everything how it was (laughs) they actually stripped back like the like the u.s open signage wasn't there the week before the week week before that it was just the u.s open courts and if you follow tennis enough you knew it was the the u.s open courts (laughs) Um, 
So, I mean, I think I think by most people's opinions and standards and just the way the tournament felt through the television, because unfortunately I wasn't able to go there. Maybe next maybe next year. Um, it's on my it, list. For it's sure. on, it is. It, it seems like a really, really nice tournament to go to and be involved in. And it came across this year on television, especially because of the break they had with it being, like we just talked about, in New York. And even though the final day, like the finals matchups were kind of womp, 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 the rest of the tournament was pretty good. If I, if I, if, if I would, if I were judging tennis for the rest of the year, this week was some pretty darn good tennis. Yeah, they definitely did start off um, with a bang on, on both the men's and women's side with some of their first, if not second round matches were definitely, you know, matches you can see in the final or semi, like, um, the Kvitova and Keys match, which was actually that is how the tournament started. Kvitova versus Keys. Keys didn't yeah. win. <laughs> she did not, but she didn't really play badly either. I mean, Consi- considering matches that she's played here recently, that was not the worst match she's played in months. I think she's on a four-match losing streak, which isn't great, obviously. I think just like I think it's one of those I moments think it's where a four-match like, losing streak. When you see somebody like when you see somebody's name in the draw, you know you can't come in like lukewarm and like so Kavitova was like, Oh, it's Madison. Okay, cool, bet. So well, you know, you know, you know I'm seeing Kavitova over here. Yes, the yes, your lefty sister, yes. <laughs> my sister so and play, my sister in leftiness. But she played a, a pretty clean match because again, that's not necessarily her strong suit either. So I think she just was a cleaner hitter on that day but that's i mean that's how cincinnati started so yeah definitely some great matches it did start off well but let's 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 first start off talking about how it ended with the champion ash barty who won her fifth title of the year and did not drop a set all week the Barty party continued in cincinnati as it continued in australia before the australian open it was partying in miami she was partying in Stuttgart, and she was partying at Wimbledon, and now she brought the party to Cincinnati, and I'm not mad at her. A lot of people, a lot of people still aren't on the Barty party bus, but I'm firmly in the back. <laughs> I mean, I I like her game. Um, I can see why at the beginning of the year, I can see why people had a issue, if you want to call it that, with her being number one. But since play is resumed, you can't really argue with her results. Because even when she hasn't won, she hasn't done poorly in events either. She's played 12 events, including Cincinnati, and she's only dropped out of the tournament before the quarterfinals three times. And that was at Roland Garros, the Olympics, and then in Adelaide, the tournament right after the Australian Open. Other than that, Every tournament she's played, she's been in the quarterfinals or better. And that's a damn good season by anybody's standards, I would I would imagine. With, with technically, like you said, the U.S. Open to follow and don't know what their year-ending swing is going to look like, technically, if they're even going to have one this year because, you know, don't know how they're going to figure that out in Asia. But even with um, Indian Wells being scheduled, like, like, she still has several tournaments on the calendar that she could rack up another win or two and it would be a better year we were talking about that in the clubhouse which you should have been in earlier today but it's okay i know you got life you got you got plans we, we were kind of talking about what the tournament or what tournament schedules are going to look like post 
U.S. Open because you typically in the past what ten years or so, the whole tournament, the whole tournament schedule and, and tours go all the way to Asia, and spend weeks and weeks either indoor, either like outdoor Asia or indoor European hard courts, and with the current state of the world and the virus that's kind of up in the air, they still on the WTA side, since we're talking Ash Barty and, and the WTA tournament in Cincinnati, the WTA, I was just peeping at the calendar. It has the year in championships still in Shenzhen, like on paper, but I just don't know if that's going to happen in theory, but something needs to happen because they can't cancel the year in the championships two years in a row and just not have well, or there are two uh, premier uh, mandatory events like Wuhan and um, those aren't on the calendar at all. <laughs> Wuhan and Beijing aren't on the calendar at yeah. all still. So, I mean, but Ostrava is. <laughs> well, <laughs> and and okay. I, I'm not to shade Ostrava, but I do like how some cities have kind of come. Um, not maybe out of nowhere isn't the right phrasing, and we kind of we kind of got off beat a little bit, but it, hey, it is what it is. But I kind of like opportunity. I like how certain cities are taking their opportunity to get on the calendar and get on get back in the tour like Chicago next Chicago. week Cleveland like these those cities haven't had WTA tournaments in years so I like how the pandemic has like given new cities a a fresh start in some ways and there's going to be even some newer cities and I think there's some throwbacks coming back to the tour after U.S. Open too. Like there's a tournament in, in Slovenia that hasn't happened in a while. Luxembourg, okay. Luxembourg is pushed up into the schedule. It's not late, late in the season. So you know, there are some good things that are coming from um, this unfortunate pandemic. But back to Barty. Okay. What do you think out of her matches? Because she didn't drop a set. What do you think was the most impressive win? Even though I think I have a, I think I know your answer. <laughs> uh, well, it would probably have to be her uh, her semifinal win. Really? Just yeah. I mean, na- like in name, because I mean, I I won't say she had an easy draw, but she definitely did. There were other draws I felt were tougher. Like if Naomi would have went through, her draw probably would have been a little bit tougher. Mm-mm. I got to stick up for my girl Barty here because if you look at the draw, she started off by playing Heather Watson. Okay. Like, that's a, that's, that should have been a winnable match for her. I'm going to the draw. Right although, to, although I, will give Heather, I will give Heather some credit. Um, her serve and her forehand is bigger than I remember it being. In 2015 when she faced Serena? It was, was is it Correct. that big? <laughs> well, I mean, again, I said bigger than it was. Actually, she, I mean, credit to Heather Watson because she actually gave Ash Barty the toughest, the toughest test in the tournament by bringing it to a tie break in the second set, which Ash Barty ended up winning 7-3 in that tie break. But after she beat Heather Watson, she faced three straight former Grand Slam champions and one of which won a Grand Slam this year. She, she beat Azarenka 6-love, 6-2. Then she played, and Azarenka obviously is a former world number one, two-time Australian Open champion, and the defending champion of the 2020 Cincinnati Open. When they played in New York, she won that tournament. She then went on to beat Barbara Krajcikova, who won the French Open. She beat her 6-2, 6-4. 
After that, you mentioned the semifinal match where she beat Angelique Kerber, who was a three-time major winner. She beat Angelique Kerber 6-2-7-5. So I wouldn't say that's an easy draw. It's it's not. And like I say, her toughest I feel like say her toughest match was probably in the, the semifinals, but like I say, I just it could have been it could have been tougher in the sense of like the players that she has played because um, the French Open champ. This is what her second tournament back. Right? Yeah, this is like her second tournament back since when? Not including, not like not including the Olympics. Since Wimbledon. Yeah. Oh, Barty or the French Open champion, Krajicka? The French Open champion, uh, Krajicka. No, Krajicka has played a tournament in Prague and won it after Wimbledon. And then she went to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And she lost to Belinda Benchich, the eventual gold medalist. Right. And then she, she came to then she came to Cincinnati, I think. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I guess her third, yeah, her third tournament back. So mm -hmm. I was like, mm. I, She looked good, though, because Krajicka played... I mean, we, we we talking about Barty, but Krajcikova beat Muguruza and Yastrzemska and Daria Kasatina to even get to Ash Barty. So that wasn't that, that wasn't easy either. This is what, like, saying all these names and looking back at the draw now, this is why I like WTA 1000 events, because you get, like we mentioned at the beginning, Madison Keys versus so Petra Vidova. Like, you, you got to come out swinging. The matchups in the very first two rounds could easily be a semifinal final of the tournament or a Grand Slam, you know? Yeah, it, it, it happens very quickly, especially in Cincinnati. It always seems like Cincinnati Cincinnati comes with, you're like, why are they playing so early? But, I mean, you know, just to look at a draw, people not playing seeds, you know, like, they get right to it. They don't play any games about it at all. Well, speaking of not playing any games, you know who wasn't playing any games this week? Who would that be? Jill Teichman. Jill Teichman. Teichman. I got to I gotta go to the WTA website and see how she pronounces her last name. I want to say it's Teichman. Jill Teichman. I think that's what I've heard a lot, but, you know, with the WTA, that doesn't necessarily mean that's correct. <laughs> and with the announcers and broadcasters that call the WTA matches, sometimes they get you pull the names out of the hat. And be like, oh, okay, I'll go with this. But even even if I, I butchered her last name, I know her first name is Jill, and I've always liked Jill. With one L. With no, one L. You sure it's one L? It's Jill with one L. It is Jill with one L. Shout out to her mama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jill with We're one making L. her different. Jill with one L. She had. She doesn't play with the one-handed backhand, but she definitely played with uh, a singular focus, which is to get back every ball that she could, especially when she played against Osaka. Because I watched her upset of, of Naomi Osaka, which is probably the biggest win of her career. On like she's never been to the the final of a of a tournament bigger than this in in Cincinnati, and right. She wasn't not nervous when she played Osaka, but you could tell that she was enjoying the moment. And that's just stuff I like to see from players. She was incredibly aware of what she was doing, almost in, in, especially thereafter. Like she beat Naomi Osaka, then she went on to beat Belinda yeah. She played Pliskova in the semifinals, but before she played Pliskova, she played uh, Belinda Benchich, who won the gold medal in Tokyo, and then she played Carolina Pliskova in the semifinals. So again, not easy matches, and she made her way all the way to the final, being unseated. And I think she's the fourth straight unseated finalist at Cincinnati. 
Because when Azarenka won it last year, she was unseated. Who was in the finals in 2019? Madison Keys versus Kuznetsova. Kuznetsova. Yes. And in 2018, I believe it was Simona Haller versus Kiki Burtons. And in 2017, it was Muguruza versus Haller. So I guess 18, 19, 20, and 21 are the four seasons. The four seasons that count, yeah, because 17, I'm pretty sure Muguruza was definitely seated, and so was Halep. Yeah, both of them should have been seated. I remember that match because Halep, (laughs) not Halep, Muguruza beat the brakes off of Halep in that final. Something about Cincinnati finals are either very, very competitive or not competitive at all. all. (laughs) Yes, because I think um, one of the two years that Serena met Azarenka in the final, they went three in Cincinnati, and Azarenka won. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, and then I like Cincinnati. Now that now that I'm now that I'm saying it and like recalling all the matches, I need to get out there. I really do. Let's say Cincinnati is definitely on the list, and it's one of the three staples that we have in North America that I don't think are going anywhere anytime soon. And you're talking about the staples, and you including Miami and Indian Wells into that that are not right. slams in New York, right? The Sunshine Bubble yeah, in there. Can we? And I'm already Cincinnati. Everybody at this point, everybody should know I've knocked off Indian Wells off my list. So, yeah. <laughs> the girls that need to be talking about Indian Wells. <laughs> I will, well, tell them blame the pandemic because I definitely had plans on doing the reverse um, the following year, well, 2020. But you know, there was no 2020 Indian Wells. So I can't believe we we calling this virus COVID 19 and it's about to be 2022 and it's still affecting our lives. <laughs> still out here in these streets. With different sisters and variants, Delta, right. it, Omega, she the whole the whole family, Lambda, they they out here, Theta Mu, all of that, <laughs> definitely out here in these streets. So let's get to some of those early round matches we were talking about because I know we were in Clubhouse talking early, um, early in the week watching one of my favorites was the Sloan Stevens versus Caroline Garcia matchup. I yes really thought Sloan Stevens and she still can. Um, because she's definitely playing better than she was at the beginning of the year, but I thought she was going to win that match. It was it was the way she was hitting her forehand, and I was like, "Okay, Sloane, we see right. you, we, we see you." Like I told you, when she flattens that out, it, it, it it's something serious because she it's not a lot of effort. Well, it's not a lot of strain when she does it. Like you, when she hits a big forehand, it's not like she's coming out of her shoes. She's literally just swinging, and oh, that's a ninety mile ball coming at you. Like she's smooth. Well, other people. Yeah, other people you can see them the like effort. trying to yeah to hit a, you know hit a big ball like Spilina is a prime example <laughs> like you can tell when she's trying to hit a heavier or a harder ball and it doesn't really doesn't really come across it doesn't do what she wants it to do at all. as long as the is the the opposite of that but I'm not I'm not mad at these her last two losses actually I'm not I'm not mad at them. They were competitive. Her loss in Montreal to Sabalenka was very competitive, and this one against Caroline Garcia was competitive. Even though Caroline Garcia is not in top form, she is a top four player. And Sloane Stevens, in her in her in fairness, is a top four player herself at one point. So that was like we said, a tough a tough early round matchup. Along with even though this isn't necessarily one on paper that jumps out, the drama behind it 
was interesting. And I'm talking about the match between Diana or Diana Yastrzemska and Katie McNally. Did you see the drama that happened in that match? I saw some of it uh, watching um, on TV. I saw them kind of briefly discussed it, but like I said, I was watching other matches. So I I know of it, but I don't know exactly what went on. I don't. So I need to do my research. And if you're listening to this, listeners, um, let me know what happened that led up to why Yastrzemska felt like she didn't need to give uh, Katie McNally a handshake because that's that was the drama. It was basically Yastrzemska finishing the match point and then she like basically waved to the crowd as like, yeah, yeah, y'all should y'all should be cheering for me because obviously the, the crowd I'm, the crowd was cheering for Katie McNally because one, she was an American she's playing the American, American tournament and she's from Cincinnati. So I don't know. Oh. Maybe so, Yastrzemska yeah. didn't know that. Maybe she didn't know that and was like, why all of a sudden they cheering for this girl? I'm hiding. I'm the higher-ranked player, because, you know, sometimes players think like that. If they're the higher-ranked player, they should be the one cheered for. But, True. But, but Cincinnati fans do get credit for knowing their tennis, and they may not feel like they should cheer for her after, mm. you know, what's been going on with her, or what went on with her, rather. Are you talking about the um, drug suspension or the in the appeal? Like they're up. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> I mean, they constantly give Cincinnati fans, you know, credit for, you know, knowing their tennis and knowing what's going on with the tour. So maybe they're not necessarily big fans of how that whole situation went down. Maybe. Well, Katie maybe. McNally wasn't a big fan of Yastrzemska either because when she realized she wasn't getting a handshake, she looked at her like, girl, are you serious? And the Yastrzemska turned back around and gave her like a little, you know, a little thanks. And then as soon as she finished that, you could see the camera person or camera camera worker or whatever basically zoom in on Katie McNally and be like, she's such a fucking bitch. <laughs> you could, wow. I mean, you didn't hear her say that, but you could see her mouth say that. She she, oh. she said it, but you could tell what she was saying. <laughs> if you watch tennis long enough, you've gotten good at reading lips very well. Uh, yeah, especially if you're a Serena Williams fan. <laughs> yeah, or, or the Williams household in general at this point. <laughs> Because Richard and Orsine used to give you a couple as well, so... Orsine used to be sleep and still be sleep. <laughs> <laughs> when she's up and telling Serena to get out of Melbourne, you know, she she gives you a couple of gems. <laughs> Not get out of Melbourne. Oh, that's classic. Classic, classic, classic. What else happened in Cincinnati on the, on the WTA side? Um, um, Coco and um, Naomi. Yeah, Coco and Naomi played each other for the third time. Third time. Mm -hmm. And Naomi got the win in three sets. It wasn't necessarily a high quality match. I was glad it went three sets because I like both of them. And if I like both players, I want them to be out there playing their best. But Osaka just proved herself to be in the moment. Aggressive. Yeah. Uh, the more aggressive and consistent player. And it just kind of showed that Coco Golf, for how good she is, which is really, really good compared to um, other girls her age, she just has more experience to get and more work to do because the double faults were definitely coming in crucial times um, that, you know, that definitely is something that she could clean up. But all, the, all in all, all in all, I definitely want to see that matchup continue to thrive i don't know if it'll be like a rivalry that changes or shapes tennis in any kind of way but i definitely think it'll be an entertaining one for sure what do you think yeah i agree especially with um just if you look at their first matchup at the u.s open 
to now Cincinnati, Coco's game has definitely grown leaps and bounds. Like you said, yes, she's still double faulted in critical moments, but she wasn't hitting like multiple double faults back to back, which was kind of a thing there for a moment. Like her serve is definitely getting better with each year. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but it seems like she's hitting more aces here recently with it. So it's it's becoming more reliable in a sense, or I guess not as much as a uh, shot that she has to think about in the you know in critical moments because like I say she had the said the yips there for a moment but it was no she had the yips we can we can call a thing a thing i mean i i I try my best to give her grace because she's 17 years old but i specifically remember at the french open last year in october yeah yeah in october it was it was yip city (laughs) yeah it was like it was multiple double fouls like back to back back. back. now she when you start like throwback to Elena Dementieva, when you start feeling like a player is about mm-hmm. to double fall through the television, yeah, it's, it's the yips. <laughs> but like say, there was a particular moment where I think she doubled and then came back and hit two straight aces. So I was like, oh, see, gross. Like we're, we're moving in the right direction. <laughs> so I still, I still that like good... that matchup, and both of them looked really cute too. I'll say that they looked cute. Plus, Coco is the reason why I am kind of aware of Jill's game because they've played each other Who's? a couple of times. Jill Teekman. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were talking about smaller. I was like, when did you see Jill Smaller play tennis? I have never seen her hit a 44. <laughs> Shout out to Serena Deji. <laughs> and I'm, I think that's Jill with two L's. <laughs> yes, yes, Jill with two L's. <laughs> Who else? Who else had some good matches on the WTA side, or what else? What else happened on the WTA side? Oh, oh that's what I want to talk about. Bianca Andreescu. Um, yeah, that's your girl. What about like what? Yeah, what Wait, why she gotta be my girl? <laughs> I, I, I will say though, I, if I had my way, even though she's still in the top ten, if I had my way, she would be closer to like rounding out. A quote unquote big four on the women's side because I think she has the type of talent and the type of personality that can um, just continue to grow women's tennis. It's just that for whatever reason, I don't know if she, I, I think she has time on her side to fix this. She is her body, I wouldn't say she, her body is not allowing her to kind of find a groove. And the reason 2019 was so good for her is because when she was playing, she was playing a lot of three-set matches and finding her groove. And I don't know if 2019 is still, like, in her legs somehow, which would be strange because that's two years it ago. It should be. Uh, she she be definitely so, should have got that out of by now. Yeah, the, the, the physio should have massaged all of those matches from 2019 out by now. It's, it, it's something like her, her shots and her overall game don't have the same sting. But it's it's interesting, though, because she was in the finals in Miami earlier this season. I don't know if that was a fluke or what. I don't think it was that. I think she's doing herself a disservice, kind of like a, um, a Monfils or a Zarif, um in majors um, past or even tournaments past where you're playing to people that you should beat rather easily and quickly you're not and then you're on the court longer and so like you're it's in like you said it's in your legs longer like there's some of those three set matches that she's played either at the u.s open or miami or indian wells that probably shouldn't have been three set matches she probably could have won them 
and two, but you know, you lose a point here, you throw a game away there, and okay, now you're in a third set. And yes, you pulled it out, but in the grand scheme of things, that's just just another hour. Yeah, that's another hour on your body. Like we can prime example of that is um Andy Murray. Like he definitely doesn't win matches even in his heyday easily, and it kind of took a toll on his body at the end. She's 21, though, and, like, a fresh 21. So, like, the the miles on her body, even though, like, I know we don't get to see the tournaments that players play, like, in, a, in their junior settings and even before that, because that is factored into, like, the, the miles on your body. But she just seems too young to be having some of the issues that she's been having physically. And if she can't get that together, it worries me for the longevity and the productivity of her career. Cause she came on the scene. Everybody was like, yeah, this is going to be something that we are going to be able to watch for years to come and develop. And it's like, we haven't seen that even if like, we haven't seen that outside of Miami in 2021 this season. And even that was a little bit of a bittersweet moment because she had to retire in the final. So it's like, you know. Well, I think some. I think certain people just don't have the best luck with their body. Like some people are just injury prone. Like it, they sneeze and you know they they didn't hurt themselves. <laughs> so I mean, there's been cases of that, like in the NBA with a uh, Joel Embiid, like. He's just injury prone. Anthony Davis, like they, they can't stay healthy to save their lives. And so, What's the guy's name Rose, Derrick Rose, again, Derek Rose yeah. So, like, there's just certain people, like again, like say they walk out their house and they should probably just be in a bubble. <laughs> she may be one of those people because I mean, the knee injury she suffered was kind of random and freakish. That I remember that, and I remember. I remember because they were playing at the WTA year in finals in Shenzhen. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is not going to be something that she can just kind of like rehab in a couple of weeks. It was, she ended up saying it was a torn meniscus, um, which is interesting because linking another torn meniscus, didn't Taylor, Taylor? Fritz tear his meniscus at Roland Garros and was back at Wimbledon? Two weeks later. She didn't Remember, have a right surgeon. They, yeah, she didn't have a right surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have the right surgeon. Clearly, she didn't. She didn't do her research to try to find Taylor Switz, uh, Taylor Fritz's surgeon because he'd been back and playing consistently. <laughs> he only had a sleeve on for Wimbledon, I think, and that was it. He had a sleeve, uh, like a sleeve on his knee, one one tournament, and then the rest of these tournaments he'd been out here running down balls like. That's still, but but maybe maybe it all goes to how your body just naturally is and how you prepare. Because if you're not doing the preparation for your body to go through grueling matches in the heat of the day and, you know, potentially two and a half hour high level tennis matches, your body's going to fall apart much quicker because you're not doing the, the, the pre lifting on the back end or the, or the, the, the front end, you're not, you're not preparing yourself. Either, either you're not preparing yourself before the match or not taking care of yourself afterwards. And I think if she 
finds a happy medium with all of that, then I think she'll be better for it. But it's just, it, it, it's not that her loss this week, because she lost to Muhova, right? And Muhova has been an informed player pretty much all season. She got to the semifinals of the Australian Open. She got to the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. So, like, she's been a player that is somebody to watch. But it's just the way that she lost. She didn't even come close to taking one of those sets and it's not the first loss like that this season. It's just, you know, this is concerning, right. especially so, considering she's about to go into the U.S. Open. I was just about to say, like, this is going to be a break, uh, make or break match, uh, tournament for her because once these U.S. Open points come off, if she doesn't show up, it's going to be a tumble. I, and I, you know what's funny? When you, when you thought, when I, it's funny that you brought up the U.S. Open because um, Indian Wells comes on, or not comes on, Indian Wells plays after the U.S. Open this year, and I wonder how they're going to work those points. Like, her 2019 points, I think they're going to still be there because the 2020 Indian Wells tournament didn't play. It didn't happen. Right. So, yeah, so I guess he's going to have some saving grace, I think. <laughs> For the time being, but again, it's being played in October. So if she doesn't show up in New York, she will. I hope. I'm, I mean, no, like she'll physically show up, but I mean, like if she doesn't win, got you. She needs. She needs a solid performance. Quarter, five, yeah. She needs like, <laughs> a bare minimum of quarters. Yeah. So if, let's say if she doesn't make the quarters there, and she loses early in Indian Wells because she has no choice but to play Indian Wells. Whether she out there on a crutch or not, she has no choice. <laughs> but what if, but but what if her points aren't going anywhere? Maybe it, it's so it's so hard to keep up with whose points have fallen off and who's not yeah. because of the because of the COVID nineteen break and how they've decided to unfreeze the rankings and stuff like that. Who knows? I think, I, yeah, I I think that they're gonna come off just because I think twenty twenty two they want a fresh start because then technically you'll be two years removed from the pandemic. So in theory. Everything Are we two years be. removed from the pandemic? <laughs> tennis wise, tennis wise, like scheduling wise, the schedule will be back to a normal schedule or very much close to, in theory. Well, another player that like um whose stock I'm evaluating, and we talked about her a little bit, Naomi Osaka. She also has a lot of points to defend because she's a defending champion in New York, and her matches in Cincinnati weren't convincing, convincing, especially considering the way she played her first two matches in Tokyo. Now, those first two matches in Tokyo, I don't know how mm -hmm. anybody besides me, myself, and I are supposed to remember those matches because you probably can't oh. find them anywhere. But I watched them live, and I was like, oh, <laughs> this is what Naomi Osaka's doing. She looked amazing. I'm, I'm not even going to... Well, like she looked like she was practicing the whole time that she was away from the game. Like, yep. she was hitting it, the ball very good. aggressively. And then that, that match against Von Drusova, the eventual silver medalist, it kind of all came undone. Yes, she got the win against Coco, but she didn't look convincing. It was more so, not more, but it was Coco showing her, her lack of experience, a little bit of immaturity in moments that got Naomi through that match. And then in the match against Jill Teichman, Osaka just kind of looked out of sorts. And and that's that would be something that's a little bit easier to digest if they want a natural service like clay or grass. But on hard courts, 
she's won a grand slam on a hard court every single season since 2018. So and she's won one this year. She, she won the 2021 Australian Open. So by most people's standards, chalk it up to a good year. If you use Pete Sampras met- metrics, if you win a, one, a, a slam a year, you've had a, a great season. But it's just the trajectory. And I don't necessarily want to add to the conversation about what she should or should not be doing off court and how she should or should not be um, taking questions in press conferences. But the tennis now, like the actual tennis, is starting to make me question how she's going to show up and play in New York. I wouldn't, to me, I'm not going to give it that much of a thing. Like, I guess I'm definitely looking at it, but if you take into account that this is literally her sixth, that was like her sixth match back since May, including the one round she played at the French Open, I mean, to me, she just looked like a rusty player who hadn't played much, especially when you consider the rest of the tour continues. So it wasn't like everybody wasn't playing competitive matches. She just wasn't. Mm. So you, you you play one round at the French. You get three rounds in at the Olympics. You get two rounds in here. You've only played six matches. So I think it's more of a, a rust issue. And then not to mention, she is Haitian, the whole earthquake situation in Haiti. Oh, yes. Like, I think she just had a lot more so than she usually does do a lot going on in, in her head. Mm. So, like, say, I'm going to chalk that up to, okay, you know, a one-off, if you will, because, like I say, she, Coke, the, she easily could have lost the Coco match. Mm-hmm. Easily. But, you know, she, she problem-solved, figured some stuff out, won it. She lost the first set against Gio, I thought she won the first set. Did she win the first set against you? Let me let me double check. I know she lost the first set against against one of them because I know they both went to three. She lost the first set against Coco for sure. Okay, and she won the first set against Jill. Jill came back and won the 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 second and third. But she was up. She was up in the third. Right. She was she was looking pretty comfortable, honestly. Yeah, and then it kind of just maybe maybe what she was thinking about maybe she kind of lost focus a little bit. Either way, I'm gonna have in the rest of the world, unfortunately, will be having their eyes on her because she is a defending champion. And maybe instead of wearing masks to signal some kind of extra um, motivation to play well, she'll find something else. Maybe she'll tell us what it is, or maybe she won't. Hopefully, she doesn't because. We don't need any more. Like, I mean, I, I don't think she or her team needs a Once, single yeah. other thing written about her and what she's taking on as a tennis player. Like, ugh. exactly. Just <laughs> let the baby play. Speaking of, you know, let the baby play. Some other babies are playing, and we're talking about the men's the men's side now. Let's switch over to the men's, um, the ATP side of things. I should say, not just the men. Even though. There's been talk about like, well, there, there's always been talk about the WTA and ATP changing or merging, should I say? But the Association of Tennis Professionals, which is what ATP stands for, doesn't have a gender, so they should. The WTA should explore that, and the ATP should explore bringing them on as just the Association of Tennis Professionals. No, I, don't, I, I, I mean, it would take some unlearning and getting used to, but well, I could see it. <laughs> right, but I don't there's too many people who don't want to see it and we're still having the whole conversation about the three sets and five sets and pay and mm-hmm. so i don't see that happening soon but the matches um in cincinnati for the men were especially on the back end 
excluding the final, were pretty good, you know, which is not something you can say a lot. The semifinals were really good to me, especially considering all top four seeds made it to the semifinals. It was Daniel Medvedev versus Rublev, one versus four, and then uh, Sasha Zverev versus Stefano Tsitsipas, two versus three. And those were probably the the highlights of the men's side to me, and it made up, it kind of made up for a lackluster final between Rublev and Zverev. Um, Zverev has now won his fifth Masters 1000 title, and he won it in, in under an hour. He kind of eleven went, matches straight. He's won eleven matches straight, including the, the gold medal. So he's definitely in form ahead of New York. He still isn't. I like him when his mouth is closed. Like I, I, when he's playing tennis, I'm like this 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 guy can play some good tennis, and I don't mind the, like the brain. He's he's like a he's. How do I describe him? He's like if Djokovic and Medvedev had a baby. Like he's Medvedev's he's, he's Medvedev's lankiness and kind of a similar build, but he's Djokovic's style of play. With a with with maybe who has a who's six six and has a big serve. I don't know. His uh, Zverev has his own serve. <laughs> yeah. Um which he was, which he is somebody who was also had some some questionable serving in his past, and they were giving an interesting stat that even though his second set is definitely a liability in the last two rounds, it wasn't only because he was bombing serves and also getting them in at like eighty and ninety percent. Mm-hmm. His first time. serve percentage. Yeah, he's so he's got it together, and I mean a a guy of. of that stature and caliber of, of tennis players should have that together. But I shan't forget when he was hitting 65 mile per hour serve at the U S open. I shan't forget right. it. <laughs> I will not that. forget it. And it will always be a joke in the back of my mind that he's six, six and was hitting 65 mile per hour second serves. <laughs> Cause that's what, to be honest, that's what lost him the U S open yep. last year. So if he's gotten that under control, he's definitely my number three. Betting, if I was a betting person, a bet pick on who would win um, the U.S. Open, like obviously an informed Novak, you can't really bet against him, considering he's going to be the only member of the big three to show up. Um, Medvedev would be my number two as long as his hand is okay, which we definitely have to talk about. Camera gate. <laughs> Not Camergate. I think uh, just to touch on Zverev, I do think he's playing some of the best tennis in his life. I just, like I said, I wish sometimes in his post-match um, winner speeches, he would just hush up sometimes. Because <laughs> he, as soon as he starts talking, he comes across like, and I guess for all intents and purposes, he kind of is a privileged guy. But it just yeah. comes. It, 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 you said I would what? Say so. Yeah, I, said, I, would, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> all signs. All signs point to that. <laughs> yeah, considering how your older brother was a professional tennis player on the tour when you were like, but less Misha, than Misha wasn't. Misha wasn't on. Oh, <laughs> hey, hey, those checks were still clearing. Not to mention your father was traveling with him. <laughs> Misha was, I mean, I know, I know there's some glory in like saying, oh yeah, my brother plays on the ATP, but Misha wasn't, <laughs> Misha Granny, was not. He was not, Ro- he was not Roger Federer or Pete Sampras, but again, those checks were still clearing. He was, 
it's uh, it's kind of like the Venus and Serena effect, if you will. Like you had an older sibling to kind of go through it, and you could you know pick their brain, figure some stuff out. So you didn't necessarily have the same hardships as somebody who's on the tour for the first time, like who has no no idea what they're doing. Did y'all hear that phone call? Why people gotta why people gotta call me while I'm doing something? Definitely. Always. But, like, um, the disrespect. Anyway. <laughs> we were talking Oh, Cameragate. Is that what we were talking about? Yes, or we wanted to get yes, into Cameragate. Yes. Did, Cameragate. did you watch it? Did you watch it live? Did you did you see it? Live? I, yes. So tell I us did. about it. So Mevidev was playing the match against Rublev was kind of, you know, taking him to the woodshed, you know, I think he won that first hit 6-2. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was pretty comfortable, yep. And it, it was pretty comfortable in the second set until he was playing defense and he ran into the camera. Well, the camera stand and the camera, for that matter. <laughs> and the cameraman. <laughs> yeah, all three. They all came tumbling down. Um, and he got up and he was <laughs> visibly upset. And um, he also kicked the camera. Um, and wanted the camera removed from the court in the midst of their um, match. But and he didn't really, I think he only won four or five games after camera gate. So that, that's kind of what turned the match for Rubla, in Rublev's favor because before that, Rublev hadn't even won a set against um, Everdell. And they also played a, like a 14 or 15 minute game at three all in the second set. Um, or four, yeah. I think I think four three something like that, and it ended up being where Rublev broke, and he basically took that momentum into the third set, and finally got his first win over Medvedev. I think, and I was I was kind of saying this a little earlier in Clubhouse. Shout out to everybody that follows uh, Tune Into Tennis on Clubhouse and follows Missing Point Five on, on Clubhouse. But I was saying that rublev kind of has too many friends on tour and he struggles with beating them beating them yes and he reminds me of venus a little bit in in that Mm -hmm. realm because he's so quick like his his like today if you go and watch the the trophy presentation he's very quick to be like oh my gosh we've we've known each other forever i'm so, I'm so proud of you and like now you can tell he's upset, but you can also kind of tell underneath. It's genuine, that, yeah. It's a genuine, like that he that I'm he really is happy. happy for that person when that's wonderful and all. But in in competition, especially individual competition, you have to want to be the person that ultimately wins that match, no matter what. Obviously, within the rules, but you have to want to win that match, and you can't be thinking about how many times are the eight pasta together. Like <laughs> you can't yeah. be thinking about that. Yeah, and that's why I don't necessarily see him he'll definitely be top 10 like you know for a tour but i don't necessarily see him being a top five play well top four he probably player. will be according to what the commentators were saying he probably will make the top five after the u.s open depending on like where ranking points drop and stuff so he probably will make a, a top five debut will he make a grand slam final debut debut no. mm, probably not maybe a final Maybe a final. And I don't, I don't see him being like top five consistently with the other people in his peer group or the other people who show promise. Like, because I could easily replace him with a healthy team. A healthy team, but I mean, he he was a top four seed in Cincinnati, and all four of them made it to the semis. So, like, is that the new big four? Medvedev, Zverev, Sitsipas, and Rublev. <laughs> all of them again, but Rublev. Like, say. 
Because again, if I just I don't I don't I think everybody else can uh, one can overpower him for one. Everybody else in the 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 top three that you just mentioned they can, and I think again a healthy team can definitely outpair him on the forehand and the backhand and moves better. I like I like his game. I just don't think he has the weapons at this current moment to kind of hang with the big boys when it comes to. I think he has weapons. They just aren't diverse enough and they aren't dynamic enough because he can hit the ball very hard and everybody knows that. But I think it takes a little bit more than that. He doesn't really have great hands and feel at the net and his serve isn't really great or like amazing either. So, you know, right. But his hands, I do feel like his hands at the net are coming, though, because him and Hatchinoff have been playing doubles together here mm. recently, mm. and they both have been doing... You can definitely tell the doubles has helped both of their results. Mm. Well, let's talk about the results of some of our, our faves, like maybe Francis Tiafo. He played in Cincinnati. <laughs> he did. He definitely did. He got a win, and then he ultimately... Who did he get his win over? Let's see. Let me look at the draw again. He got his win over Ugo Umber, which is not a bad win at all. Ugo Umber has had a pretty solid season, is another player that's like a next-gen 23 and under former, I mean, not former, maybe current, future top 10 player, you know? Um, why'd you make that face? <laughs> top 20, yes. Top I like 10, Ugo, but you know, you know I have a soft part for the lefties, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely can definitely see, let's say, top 15, maybe, you know, 11, 12, like... <laughs> you can't... If you can see 11, why can't you put it in the top 10? <laughs> I, I just... I just... I don't... I don't... I don't think he'll... I don't... He's not consistent enough. So, like, I, I can see him, like, getting a couple of big results and getting borderline there, and then... It's just not... not it's interesting that you use the verbiage he's not consistent enough when we're talking about Francis Tiafo. You knew I was yes, going to say yes. that. You knew I was going to uh, say that. Yes. I mean, but I feel like that's um, that's the book on a lot of the the young talent at this moment is their consistency. It's definitely the book on Tiafo, unfortunately. Shuffle bylaws and, uh, and FFA, uh, FAA as well. So, I mean, that's who I had written down to talk about next is uh, Felix. I mean, Felix did get to the quarterfinals, his first Masters quarterfinals since Miami in 2019. Miami. And he actually didn't have an easy draw to get there. If I pull it up, he faced he faced um, Martin Fuksovic of Hungary in the first round. Then he faced the 2020 Olympic silver medalist and Karen Hatchinoff. Then he beat Matteo Berrettini. I think that was his sixth top 10 win. And Berrettini was the number five seed. And then Felix ultimately lost to Sitsipas in three sets. The Sitsipas match was interesting because he could have went away in two sets, but he forced it to the third. It was just the way he went away in the third set because he lost the third set 6-1. And Sitsipas kind of just put the hammer down on him. But all in all, I think those three wins are going to propel him. Hopefully, he takes those three wins and takes the positive from it and not the negative from the the loss of Tsitsipas because that's his fifth straight loss to Tsitsipas. And I like that rivalry. It's just it's 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 turning and has a, turned to Tsitsipas's favor. You know, 
Yeah, well, I mean, Sissy Paz has a lot of stuff he needs to think about himself Ooh. just because <laughs> you, this last match, you you lost it and you shouldn't have. I, I kind of think he has a little scar tissue from the French Open, to be honest. Sissy Paz, Sissy Paz has scar tissue. I don't, I'm looking at the spot I was sitting in when I watched Sissy Paz play Borna Chorich at the 2020 U.S. Open and he lost even though he had like seven match points, I'm looking at the sofa I was sitting on as I record this. And when I watched that, I was like, this match is going to somehow rear its ugly head in some way. And for the most part, not to toot my own horn, but I've been right. Like, French Open, he was up two sets to love. I know he lost to Djokovic, but he was up two sets to love. Even to to Wawrinka, that was yeah. the Wawrinka was bef- was before the U.S. Open in 2020, but it's right. But I'm just it's saying, part like, of the, it's part of the whole of, microcosm yeah. of Sissy Paz. You're right. You're right. Right, because he 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 gets himself him getting himself into winning positions is not the issue for him. Him closing out matches seems hmm. to be at random points seems to be an issue. Which, like I say, I don't the Djokovic one you can kind of. But he you know, still was he still was solidly up two sets to love and and not just hanging with Djokovic, beating Djokovic in that he final. Was, but the only like I'm gonna give him grace only because again, Novak is the current number one at that point, had nineteen majors. It was his first one. So I'll give him a little grace on that one. Mm-hmm. But again, the one to stand, I, I can't help him with this one with zero. I really can't. Because I, I, he was I a 5-3 and 5-4 and served for it. Right. In the third set against Varif. So it's, it likely should have and been you, and, in that final. And he has a winning head-to-head. Um, and, and won the last time they played in Acapulco. And and the French Open. Zarif won the last one in Aca, uh, Acapulco. Oh, you're right. Zarif only had right. two wins, yeah. You're right. Yeah, so besides this literally, uh, literally playing in Acapulco, and the very first match they played against each other as professionals, Tsitsipas has owned Zarif. So then for you to get up the way you got up in the third set and serve for it twice and not be able to close it out, but then close out the service game, the third service game you played uh, to force When there's record, less pressure. Fairly easily. Yeah, I'm definitely questioning what, you know, I would put you in my top... Um, People to win it if it wasn't for that fact. If like mm. that gives that is what gives me pause. Is you could get up in a match, but can you close it out? Let's blame it on his daddy. How about that? Can we do that? Because that's what that's what Zverev was saying. Zverev says to, to paraphrase to paraphrase what Zverev was saying in the semifinal match to the chair empire is that Zverev was cheating. Not Zverev. That Sissipas was cheating when he went to take the toilet break after that second set. He brought his bag and his cell phone with him, and then the cameraman cut directly to Sissy Paz's daddy, who was texting up a storm. And it, it made Zverev's point look very valid. Even though there's been moments, and if you do the research, there's been moments when Zverev have, has looked at his cell phone in a match. So it was kind of the pot, pot calling the kettle black. Yeah, pot and kettle. Pot and, pots and kettles, but it's that, that whole Sissy Paz and his dad that whole dichotomy of their relationship needs to be addressed because it keeps coming up. Well, yeah, I mean, well, one, uh, Sissy Paz do, does believe in coaching on court. He <laughs> Every single that. point. <laughs> yes, he, he, he has made that statement. So there's that. Not to mention, just last week in Canada, he got a point penalty for coaching. 
So, I mean, Zeref necessarily wouldn't be wrong in making that assumption. He wouldn't. But why? My thing is, I think Sissipas has a certain degree. Not to call him, not to call him immature or like to like berate him in any way. But I do think he has a certain level of maturity to get to. Because why are you still so dependent on your father, especially to make statements? And I don't know if that statement is fueled by his his management team or maybe even. Um, What's Serena's coach's name? <laughs> Patrick Moritagalu? Yeah, because, you know, Sissipas S- S- trained at the Moritagalu Academy, and, you know, Moritagalu is all about the coaching and all that stuff, too. But, didn't he just turn 24 in Toronto, Sissipas? Either 23 or 24. He's definitely mid-20-ish, yes. Why does he not have the desire to want to figure things out on his own? A little bit. And the fact that he either, if if he doesn't have that desire or doesn't know how to articulate it, that in itself is a problem because, yes, we're not, and I'm not trying to dilute or, um, like, disenfranchise him from his father. I just think the dynamics are not allowing him to grow. And when you are not, and when your growth is stunted, it shows itself in the most pressure-filled moments, which is why he's not closing out matches. If you don't know how to get through a moment based off of experience and being there yourself, and you feel like you have to look for your dad's opinion on how to close out a match, you're likely not going to close it out. So he needs to... I have no idea. I can't think of a coach on top of my head who could work with Sissy Paz, but his dad seems to be at this point, for how much work his dad has probably done to get him to this level, it seems that it's stunting his growth at this point. I will, but I think he would do that with any coach because that's just what he's mm. used to. Kind of like the mm. greats, like Serena, Venus, Roger, and them, like growing up with not having the challenge system. Therefore, they don't challenge a lot because they're used to, oh, okay, the linesman calls the ball out. You may go talk to the chair umpire, but after that, you move on because there's nothing you can do about it. So I think it's just a mentality, hence why, like, you have the argument of people like, well, if you let, you shouldn't, it's wrong for the WTA to allow coaching during regular tournaments, but not at the Grand Slams either. Yeah, that's so bad, because that's when the pressure's on. (laughs) Exactly. So, like, I can understand, like, so I think this is just one of those instances where he's been getting coached from the sideline for so long that it's innate to him, like, like you said, he doesn't see anything wrong with it. So then for you to not allow him to do it in the big moments, I don't, I don't think he's differentiating between the moment. It is just what he does, kind of like Rafa in the whole tucking his head behind his ears and you know pulling his shorts. Like, it's just one of those, you know, super You're so nice in describing that. Because <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the PG way of describing Rafa's routine. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I just think it's like kind of like a ritual thing with him. That is like say he doesn't cognizantly think about it. It's just um, I won the point or I lost the point. Okay, I'm gonna look over. He gonna tell me to come in or he gonna tell me to stay back or you know stick the volley, you know push the volley, whatever the case may be. Whatever the signals that they come up with, it's just a part of his routine. There's another player when when you just said something made me think about Shapovalov because I had him here in my notes and I don't know where his head is anymore. Not 
not like he I wouldn't say that he's officially on a slump because Wimbledon was not that long ago, right? And he made the semifinals. Mm-hmm. But his performance so after Wimbledon have not they've been head scratchers, especially the loss to Benoit Pair. I watched some good points of that match. And I wouldn't say that Benoit Pair like completely outplayed Shapovalov, but Shapovalov's problem is still that he keeps beating himself. Like he's the one that's dictating the points and it's he doesn't have control over his game at the point now that I thought he would have at this point, you know? He definitely wasn't yeah, he definitely wasn't playing like he played at Wimbledon for sure. Controlled aggression. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the start of a love grass affair, which would be lovely, like for him to be a player that we could always count on to play well at Wimbledon. Yeah, I feel, but I feel like his game can be applicable to every surface because he's that good. And a loss to Benoit Pair, especially Benoit Pair this season doesn't look good on paper. But shout out to Benoit, not shout out. Good for Benoit Pair for acting like he actually cares about tennis this week. <laughs> yeah, I would I wouldn't be surprised if Benoit Pair turned some heads in New York, assuming that there is no bubble in New York, like there wasn't a bubble in Cincinnati. They still haven't made an announcement about. Well, they made the announcement, you know, some time back that they're going to allow full fans. I'm waiting on the we need to see proof of vaccination announcement. That's what that's what I'm waiting on. (laughs) You already made that announcement for New York, like um, movie theaters and restaurants. So I'm confusion. I'm confusion. Maybe, Maybe they feel like they don't have to make that announcement. Because New York City already made the announcement for restaurants and movie theaters, I guess. Right. right. All I know they have is to know Benoit, people from all over the world are going to be coming over. Hey, his big his big gripe was that he didn't like the whole bubble situation and all that jazz. He didn't have a bubble here in Cincinnati. He he showed up. He was present mentally. If there's no bubble in New York, uh, he may show up and be present mentally and get a couple of wins, you know, on the calendar. He's got to stop popping that collar because he don't know how 2003 that looks, and it looks it it, it doesn't look cute to me. <laughs> but that's about as much Benoit Pair talk as I can handle. Um, two other players I wanted to give shout outs to, actual shout outs to, are Casper Rue because he continues to impress. He made his second consecutive Master yes. 1000 quarterfinal on a hard court, um, so that's impressed. good to him. Very impressed with him. Mm-hmm. He he he. Is looking like a contender to possibly be a next, you know, in that conversation of top five player, top ten player. I see him as, um, because I know for me he was very much like a clay court specialist, if you will. Um, but I definitely can see him on the projector, uh, of like team how team had most of his early success on clay, and then. Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere, for most people, won Indian Wells against uh, Roger Federer, I do believe. Mm-hmm. You believe so correctly. I can, see, I, I can see that kind of same upward trajectory for Casper um, as in, you know, maybe winning more and going deeper on hard courts now that he's kind of figured some stuff out. I like Casper Rude quietly, and I always have to use the word quietly when I say Casper because it's like it's right there. Quiet, Casper, Ghost, is right there. I'm the only person that, that, that gets that anyway. Another person who's been quietly playing good tennis on the men's side is Pablo Carino Busta. 
he made the quarters. He got kind of he got his his behind handed to him by Medvedev, um, which is interesting because he usually causes Medvedev some problems, him and Roberto Batista Agu. But those 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 three named Spanish people, those three named Spanish guys are always kind of in the mix. And Pablo is having probably the best season of his career quietly. Their bronze medal in Tokyo. He won an ATP mm-hmm. 500 title. He beat Djokovic to get that bronze medal. So Second I mean, <laughs> are you counting the 2020 U.S. Open as a win? I am. He won the first set. <laughs> but you know, technically, that's that matches with disqualification, right? It it is. But I'm just saying he he won the first set and he had him flush. He was the cause of Novak losing his shit. You're not lying, because Pablo wasn't missing at all. I, I, so, I, I need to find I need to find that match and rewatch it. <laughs> because, I'm just because good moments. I remember sit, again. I, I'm looking at the spot I was sitting at. Clearly, I, I record and I I record in my little man cave, and this is where I watch tennis and talk about tennis the most. And I remember being like, all I could say was like, child. <laughs> when 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 I saw that line of power go down and knees start to uh, crumble, I was like, "Ooh, this, this can't be good." Like say, it's like everybody remembers that one as they should. But like say, for me, it was the first one, which I think it happened during the right before the changeover. I think maybe at like four all oh, or four three when Novak hit the ball into the camera, what would have been the photographer station. Had mm-hmm. there been photographers allowed in the event, like I was like, oh, he's about to lose his shit. Like he's unhinged. Again, and I'm, we haven't talked about Djokovic much at all to, on this episode. Which why would we? He didn't. He wasn't in Cincinnati. Uh, he but he's unhinged. <laughs> or maybe maybe not permanently unhinged because I don't want to make any assumptions about his mental health because that's not fair. But he has moments, <laughs> and I'm just like. Woo, somebody got to check that out. <laughs> he he definitely teeters mm. often. Mm-hmm. Teeters and totters. Um, <laughs> so, speaking of teetering and tottering, we are teetering very close to this year's U.S. Open. We are eight days away, and there's only a few or a handful of tournaments right before the players head to New York. Some of them are probably heading to New York, but there are a couple of players trying to get some matches in before they go to the Big Apple in Queens. And there's tournaments in Chicago, Cleveland, and Winston-Salem, North Carolina this year. Um, on a scale of one to Serena's post-match celebration of the 2008 U.S. Open, how excited are you? <laughs> um. I'm actually more excited than I usually am for um, the week before, just mm-hmm. because a lot of people are playing, a lot of people are trying to get matches, especially with the Olympic year and trying to just get matches. So a lot of people are playing this week that usually don't play the week before slam. So I'm interested for sure. Kasakina, well, the, tri- the triple K's are all playing in Cleveland. Kasakina, Kantavites, and Kanta. Johanna Conta are all playing in Cleveland. Um, Elena Spitalina and the legendary Venus Williams will be holding it down in the WTA event in Chicago. And the Cleveland event is a WTA 250 event as well. Shout out to Chicago for putting together a 2021 Chicago Tennis Festival. This week they had a WTA 125K event, which is basically like um, 
a tier below WTA level um, for players to kind of get more matches. Maybe like the equivalent is like an ATP Challengers event. They had one this week, then this week coming up, they have the 250 event, and then the week after the U.S. Open concludes, they're going to have a WTA 500 event. 500, so, yeah. They are they are bringing uh, tennis back in a big way to Chicago. Shout out to Kamal Murray for spearheading that and the whole people that has anything to do with that. Like shout out to you guys for bringing tennis to Chicago. Hopefully, it's not just a one time thing, and tennis in Chicago is back to stay. Because at one point, excuse me, the WTA used to consistently stop in Chicago. Like you kind of have to do your research to figure the, the time frame. But a lot of the players in like the Steffi Graf. Uh, Monica Sellers, Chris Everett, uh, Sanchez Vicario, Lindsey Davenport, Hingis area era, they were always in Chicago at least once a year. So shout out to that. And then on the men's side, there's one last tournament before the U.S. Open, the ATP 250 tournament in Winston-Salem that I'm looking in the corner of my eye and watching right now because <laughs> right. play has already gotten started. Um, do I, is this where, is this where I vent my frustrations about Nick Kyrgios and Andy Murray first round? Is this where I do that at? I think so. Yes, you can, you can go ahead. I don't effing like him. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, this, this may not be good for the growth of my podcast. And I'm talking about uh, Nick Kyrgios. I think it is a crock of shit that he knew this tennis tournament was being played he knew that he had a marquee first round matchup with andy murray and he waited until minutes before the match to pull out for a knee injury now when i when i i sat there I, like before we started recording i sat and kind of closed my eyes and was like how bad do i want to lean into him because some of my favorite players have pulled out of out of matches Maybe and maybe not in the best time slot. A la yes. Venus Williams back in 2001 at the at the at the Indian Wells tournament, but mm -hmm. the reaction she got didn't really match the action that she did of pulling out of a tournament. I know she pulled out of her tournament before she played Serena semifinals. I can understand the frustration of a ticket holder wanting to see that matchup. This is not. This is just adding to the list of Nick Kyrgios shenanigans. And I don't know why he doesn't have anybody around him that can tell him about his shit. Because if it were me, I would tell him about his shit. You, you cannot, you, you, even you, Tobias, alluded to this in Clubhouse. How do you consistently say that you care about the fans and you want to be entertainment for the fans? You don't even fucking show up. You don't, you literally don't show up. How do you how how do you manage to get out of your mouth that you're a showman and you want to put something on for the fans, but when you get an opportunity, you pull out of the tournament or you don't even get that far? Like what? Yeah, like the best. Sorry, like they say in other sports, <laughs> like they say in other sports, the best availability is being available. And at this point, since the start of the pandemic, he just has not really been available. And from Weeks. his words, he doesn't want to be there. He he consistently talks about retiring early. He just does. He feels like every tournament he goes to could be his last. Get out of here or do something like your 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 country mate, uh, Ash Barty. Take an ex a, a, an extended leave of absence from the sport. You love the NBA so much, and you keep walking on the turn tournaments with NBA shoes on or Air Force Ones or whatever. Go find a basketball league. Stop wasting our time. And it, it annoys me because people get on the internet or just people just are always like, he's so great for the sport. How, Sway? How? He don't, he barely plays it. How? How? 
<laughs> How? So, I just I, it it doesn't it doesn't curl all the way over for me that he gets like people are always like, well, you never really know what to get with Nick Kyrgios, and he's such an he's such a um, exciting venture for the sport. You, he doesn't play it. <laughs> like, Again, when, when he's present, he gives um, a very Jimmy Connors, um, John McEnroe feel of, you know, he may show up and cuss you out or do something crazy like a trick shot. Enough like, people are cussing him out. That's the problem. That's what it is. He hasn't met his match. He's very entertaining on the court where but somebody like his countrywoman, Ash Barty, gets criticized for not being, quote-unquote, fighting or playing an exciting brand of tennis. You can't say that of Nick when he plays. The only issue is that Ashley is playing consistently and Nick's not. So there you have it. Um, but, I mean, I definitely was looking forward to that match. I like both of those players. So I, it definitely would have been interesting seeing how again, Nick but hasn't played But you wait until, lot. like, 6.55 and your, your match is at 7 o'clock to be like, y'all, I'm not playing this match at all. Like, to the point where the tournament had to scramble and find somebody that has to just lost it. in qualifying. Shout out yeah, to yeah. Noah Rubin for even being yeah. available. But, like, you put you put your opponent, you put the tournament, and you put somebody else who thought that they were about to go to the next tournament or possibly go on a break. You put them all in very un. You put them in, in yeah. You put them in, in compromising positions in for what? For no reason. I just can't. I just I just can't get jiggy with him. For a while, I tried. I really tried because I wanted I wanted to see what everybody else was just like. Yeah, great for the game. I just can't. I can't. I can't get jiggy with it. I can't. If he not, if he never plays another tennis match in his life, I will be okay. I, I promise you, I will be fine. And it's more frustrating because if you just take away the shenanigans, the talent is clear, but talent only gets you so far. He has to have a desire to want to play. He doesn't even look like he stretches before tennis matches because that's how that's how little he actually cares. How do you have the the possibility to play for six digit checks week to week to week to go from cities and countries that people can only dream of and not realize the privilege of that. And I'm not saying that it's easy. I, I, I understand because I watch so much tennis that being a professional tennis player is not all roses, but there are privileges associated with it. And you come continuously like spit all of like spit in the face of all of that. And I can't get jiggy with it. I just can't, I can't. To quote Sloan, did y'all see that check? The size of the check that he handed me. <laughs> like playing for playing for the amounts of money that would change a lot of people's lives instantly. And he's just out there just chucking and jiving. I just mm. not shucking and jive. That's what he does. He shucks and fucking jives. Sorry. Anywho. Oh, not, not I'm let me get off of here because I, I didn't got upset. He didn't he didn't got me flustered. <laughs> And vexed your spirit, huh? Yeah, yeah, vexed my little spirit. Just because, I mean, granted, folks, this just happened. Like, as I'm recording this, Murray just won his match that he had to play against the Lucky Loser. So all of these feelings are just fresh on the top of my chest. And maybe maybe if I were to record this tomorrow, I would feel differently. But as of right now, he dead wrong for that shit. And it just adds to the list of things that he's dead wrong about. But one thing I'm not dead wrong about is inviting you onto the show. I'm glad that you <laughs> took some time to finally come on the show and chop it up with me like we always do via text and via Clubhouse and via all the other mediums. Um, 
Tell the people where they can find you. Talk about tennis on social media. Tell the people. Um, um, both um, Instagram and Twitter. Um, handle is uh, un, U-N underscore bias, B-I-A-S. You know, kind of play on my name. Which is very so, clever. Always... The bias, unbiased. And you do give, you do give very unbiased I try to commentary. Yeah, I think it's, I it, might be, it might be the Libra in you. <laughs> yeah, that could be, could be, you know. <laughs> we are great, you know. Y'all all right, y'all all right. I mean, the, the goat is a Libra, so that, you know, that's, that's all right, all right, <laughs> all right. Is there anything that you wanted to leave the people with before we head out of here? Um, Hey, guys, just uh, enjoy the U.S. Open. Let's, let's see what happens, because I feel like it's going to be a lot of storylines coming out of there. Something's going to happen. For sure. It's, it's New York. There's never a dull moment. And I'm going to be here to report all of it. I'm going. I'm literally going to be there, and I'm going to be back on my mic to report all of it as soon as I can. <laughs> all right, you guys. That was a fun episode, right? Right? If you enjoyed it, definitely make sure you give it a review and rate the episode and the podcast in general on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this. And there's a rating system or a liking system. Make sure you like it and rate it and review it because I would appreciate that. And the podcast deserves me and Tobias deserve that. No, I think so. We I think we do. <laughs> um, this will be the last podcast before or the last podcast episode before we do a 2021 U.S. Open preview podcast, and that one is going to feature the same person that did the 2021. That was so epic because that was the very first episode of this podcast. And this time around, Brian and I, if you actually go back and listen to that episode, which you should, it's the very first episode of the podcast. Don't judge it because I feel like audio quality in my presentation has gotten better. But, you know, just listen for context, not for judgment. But if you do go back and listen, we uh, previewed everything from um, the order of play, the the draw that came out, some juicy first round matches, some potential second, third, fourth, so on and so forth matches. And we're going to be doing the same this go around, except we're actually going to be in New York when we record it. So I won't be in my normal recording studio location here in Louisiana. I'll be in New York with Brian. We'll be in our hotel with the mics and the mics will be live and we'll be giving you everything so you guys can enjoy that and look forward to that either the Sunday before the tournament starts on the 30th or the Monday morning by the time the tournament starts. So be on the lookout for that. And as always, guys, look on the podcast description or look at the podcast description for ways in which you can support the podcast, which is always very much so appreciated. You can click the link that says buy me a coffee so you can support my Frappuccino habit that is getting better. (laughs) Maybe like one or two a week definitely keeps the haters away but they come anyway. And then also I keep saying this, make sure that you are looking in the podcast description and going to our email address at missingpointpod at gmail.com and sending us your questions, sending us your feedback so that when we do our special Q and a one year anniversary episode in September, your question will be answered on the show and it'll be a fun way for us to engage. And you, and you feel like you're on the show as well, which is fun, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, until next time, have a good week. Take care of yourself and I will talk to you soon. Until then, 
Have a great afternoon, evening, morning, next day, whenever you're listening to this. I'm sure it'll be great. Thanks. Talk to you guys later.